Welcome, and I'm glad to be here today. And this is going to be a good uh, sermon series because, because it's something that God's been building in us and in us as a church for a while. Um, the sermon series is called Healed, Built from the Ground Up. And, uh, and, and it's in contrast to what we just went through, which is looking at the brokenness of the church, where each one of us carries that brokenness inside of us, and, and it affects us, and it becomes something that, that we're always reacting over and against. Just to get the obvious out of the way, for those of you in the community that know, my father is, um, is passing, and he is on uh, his, his last uh, breaths right now. And so that's hard. And it's reflective of the brokenness that's happening in the world. We, we like to think about the nice, padded, secure lives that we live. And it isn't always nice and roses, and it isn't always pretty. But we have these times where, where we see and experience personally evil pervading inside of everything. And no, we don't walk around a world where, you know, this morning I went for a walk and I recognized that there is no real violence that threatens me in my life. You know, death isn't something that stalks me and you at every moment. It's not something that's imminent around the corner the way that, that it has been in human history. We remember that today. But there is an element where it still finds us. It is still the last enemy to be defeated. That's what the Bible calls death. And it is there. And then that evil affects everything about decisions we make. It affects everything about our own life. And so, you know, it, it comes into institutions and looking for power and all this other stuff. And so the question that we raise is how will we be effective or different? How can we mitigate from the intrinsic errors that evil brings that we participate in? How do we find healing in the presence of evil? What's going on? And so today we're going to be looking at Ezekiel and we're going to be going through a little bit of how God does work in that. So let me open up in prayer. God, we need you. It's a simple sentence, God, but, but the truth of it is more profound than any more complex sentences. We need you. We fight against evil. We do our best. We, we strive and try to make sure that, that death is eradicated and poverty is eradicated and, and all of the evils that happen and arrogance is, is brought to humility and everything that goes on. We, we strive to fight against it, but yet it keeps on being there. We need you. And so, God, today as a community of believers, I pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring hope, that you would bring an understanding of what you are doing into this world, into this context, so that we can see the hope that you've set in place. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does God do? That's the question. What is God doing? How does it work? What is, how does God bring about healing in the face of different forms of evil that we've all experienced? The first thing, there's, there's two major ways. One is we're going to spend the, the, the majority of our message on, and, and the other one is, is through forgiveness, you know, which I'm just going to mention briefly and more next week. Forgiveness acknowledges that the people around you are attempting to do more good than bad. 
So that's really interesting because, you know, sometimes we, we have this really high level expectation of people. We've got this idea that, oh, well, it's going to be like this. It's going to be amazing. But then we've got this reality that it's like, oh, sometimes it's not. And, and we like to, especially in our culture, we like to paint somebody with one brush. You are one of those bad people, toxic, evil, terrible. We label them, or we say you are an ally. And when our allies betray us, it hurts. And when, and, and when a toxic person does something good, we don't recognize it. And so we put these absolute labels on people, and, and then we go, okay, that's what it is, so that we can sort it in our own thinking, separate it out, judge them between good and bad. But yet all of us, we're all in it working in it. And so one of my professors, he said something that was really profound to me. He said, Rob, instead of thinking about us and them, we need to be thinking about each one of us is working on road towards what, uh, doing the best we can with what we have. So we need to offer forgiveness. And Jesus in that context said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's really interesting. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. And so forgiveness becomes a major part of how we're going to mitigate um, against the evils in our world. But that's our part. I think what's more important in the message today is what is God's part. Today, you could join me on Slack. You can ask, you can ask questions. Um, I'm going to be reading it while I'm looking at the notes. And so I'm going to interrupt myself with Slack messages that come in. What is God's part? Let's get to Ezekiel. Um, 36, 22 to 28. The first few verses show us our failures, and the next processes uh, show us what we'll do, and I'll, I'll show us where we switch. So the first view, they're talking about Israel, but they parallel promise in some ways, not all the ways, but for Israel, it nails it. Thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of of my holy name, which you have, have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, um, when through you... Sorry, my, I didn't have my sound off, and so I'm just getting dinging. <laughs> I apologize. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, what God is going to do with us, I will take from the nations, and I will take you from the nations and from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle water, clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful, to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you to you and your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So what is God doing? See, God has been faithful to his promises, and now God is making new promises. 
we will be restored to be a people that faces God. We're going to be restored to become a people that are God-facing. God's motivation is for the sake of his own name, not our comfort. So this is a it's, it's hard, it's sobering, because oftentimes we come to church and, and we think, how does, how does being a Christian benefit me? How do, what do I gain out of it? And there are tons of blessings. We see it all through the Bible. But when we look at God's motivation, God says that it is about my name. And when we place that at the foundation, healed from the ground up, we put ourselves in the proper position because that, our position, our posture, affects everything about where we go logically from there. It affects everything about, about how we think of the world. If healing is going to come to the church, it's not for my fame or my glory or my comfort or my success, if healing is going to come to the church, it's not for any of our fame so that we get to, you know, have record labels all over the place so we get to be these great people. No. It's to be for God's sake, His name. He is revealing the world holy and different and pure, and God's not motivated by our success or comfort. Okay. Well, that's not convenient. Anybody else feel that that's not convenient? God's primary motivation is not for my success or comfort, but it's actually for his name. But for the, his name's sake, he is healing the church. And that's what comes out in this verse for us. For his name's sake, because we bear his name. Think about that, people. I don't know, I don't know how much... Everybody in the congregation thinks about this because I've not actually asked this question. But think about that. If you say you are a Christian, if you say that you are a Christ follower, then what you are doing is you are actually putting on the name of Jesus on display for the world around you. You are individually, and we are corporately, putting on display the name of Jesus for the world around us. Wow. Okay. So I hear tons, you know, from different pastors and stuff. And, and early in the passage here, we see that, that the name of the Lord is profaned among the nations because of the reputation, the people of his name, Israel, is having on it. And it's a question for me that as we think about our life, we think about how are we living, do people mock God because of the representation of our church? It's an important question for us to sit on, to never, to never let go of. As someone just said on Slack, we are the only people, we are the only Bible that some people will read. And so we carry his name, and because of that, God is healing us in, in, our, in our text. He is sprinkling clean water on us. I don't know if you guys know, but this is actually where, the, where baptism started. 
He's sprinkling clean water on us. And, and it's funny because it's Ezekiel. So, so baptism, what happened is, is the Essene people, they, they were like, okay, everything is corrupt inside of the, the uh, temple practices. And the Essenes, they were like, no, we are the true remnant, the faithful to God. We're going to go and we're going to go live in the cave separated from society. And what they did is they were like, okay, so we've got sprinkling of clean water on them. And so it was about this living water, this moving water that was going to wash them. And they said, to be part of our community, you need to be washed with this water. And it's often believed that John the Baptist was part of the Essene sect. And so when he's baptizing people, cleansing them in the Jordan River, clean water rushing over them, he's, he's dunking them and, and having them cleaned. Then Jesus comes and says, okay, it's your, baptize me too. And John's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 you don't need to be baptized. You're good. And he's like, no, just, just do it. And since then, we have baptism inside of Christianity where, where it's sprinkling and also dunking we see both modeled in scripture and so there it is that's where it comes from he's cleaning us cleansing us from the influence of the evil around us cleansing us from sin and it's a process that's happening right now in my life in my life it's a process that's happening right now is it a process that's happening right now in your life is there a place where you know that God is cleansing you from sin? A specific thing that you know that God is saying, no more of that. Let that be removed from your life. What is that space? What is that thing that God's saying, no more of? And so we have this really challenging piece that God is cleansing us. God is removing idolatry from us. God's removing idolatry from us. We're called to be God-facing. But if you're anything like me, you face many other things. When, when we put our face to something, um, we... we are giving it our attention. We are allowing it to determine our course. We are, we are facing something. And I know that there are many things in my life that I face, but my calling is to be God-facing. Your calling is to be God-facing. He is removing idolatry from you. Okay, so what are the idols? What are the idols we have? In Jesus' day, it was, and even Jeremiah, as we looked at last time, it was order of service. It was the traditional rote. It becomes an idol, stopping you from experiencing what God wants you to experience. In our secular world, it's materialism. Maybe it's your vehicle. You're paying more attention to the status that your vehicle offers you than to, than to what you have maybe it's your work your title maybe that becomes an idol but probably it's what you pay the most attention to think about that for a minute he's removing idolatry from you everything is about his name his purpose his mission what do we pay the most attention to? 
Check your heart. He's removing idolatry from us. And then the promise. He's giving us a clean heart. And somebody just asked a question on Slack. I'm going to get to it in the next piece when I get to giving us his spirit. He's giving us a new heart. And it was a stone. It was stone. And then it's going to be flesh. See, this isn't actually a promise for like the afterlife. This is a promise for today. It's a, it's a promise for today that says, I am giving you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is looking forward to Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he says, wait, don't go anywhere until you've received the spirit of God. He's given it to us. The Spirit of God which dwells inside of us who call on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He has given us His Spirit to live within us. It replaces the the heart of stone that we had. Everything not moldable, not changeable. We talked about God being a a potter working on clay that's moldable. And He's going to give us a heart of flesh. One that is able to be truly alive. And He gives us His Spirit who will lead you in the ways of the kingdom of God. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So verse 27 says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to obey my statutes. Is this predestination? No. No. This is, this is God, when we respond to him, God calls, we respond. God places his spirit in us and he says, I am going to compel you, cause you, motivate you, change you to do, to live according to my ways. Because my ways work. You were created to live like this. You're created to live in a world that doesn't actually, that, that, that isn't actually sidelined by the presence of evil. This is about the healing that we're getting to, where God is healing us, and he's saying, yes, I know that evil exists, and the natural impulse to evil is to, is to repay evil with evil, but God says to repay evil with good. Well, that doesn't come natural, but it's the way we were created. It's the way we were created to do, and the Holy Spirit is what gives you the strength and ability to do it. It's not force, I will cause you. It's it's partnership, I will cause you. I'm going to compel you, move you. And so very, very good question. So this is where we fit. He brings healing because he restores the land he rules. And this, we don't think about land enough, but the whole Bible is built on land. Everything about the Bible is tied to the land and and the rule of God in the land. And, And what happens when we have this land is God's establishing a land where God rules it directly. No more mediator or government other than God. And the way he rules is is by his spirit that's taught us how to live outside of the effect of evil. He's removing all of that. God promises two things, to remove evil from the world and to to make everything right and to live with us. 
And so he, he is in that process, and he's like, I'm going to build this in you. I'm going to build hope in you. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to you, your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Pause. Sounds arrogant, doesn't it? You will be my people, and I will be your God. Well, of course, it sounds arrogant. One person on, on Slack just said, so is the reason why God does anything, including the involvement he takes in our life, to ultimately make himself look good? To get adulation from his creation? Isn't that selfish or self-centered? Why should we emulate, emulate that or take part in it? Well, it's a great question because what we've done is we've said all power differential is evil, thanks to Nietzsche. Nietzsche actually gave us that idea that power differentiation is evil. The fact is, when we can humbly recognize, and I'm actually going to get into this in a minute, when we can humbly recognize that we don't hold a candle to God. So there's two things that are happening. The first one is our God is too small. Too often we think that God is just a projection of my own idealized self. Okay, no. God is holy other than us, greater than us. And one of the reasons that we have rejected God, and I'm, gonna, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, is because God is a threat to us by his mere existence. He becomes a threat. He is greater, stronger, better in every way. He is infinite. I'm finite. He is all-powerful. I'm hardly powerful at all. He is actually really. Um, he is, he is all loving and I struggle to love. He is all gracious and I am judgmental. He is everything that I cannot be in whole being. And so he is a threat pointing out my own lessness. And so we reject God. And so what God is saying is he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not like that I know that I'm more powerful than you, but I love you without cause. We cannot reduce God to ourselves, but we're afraid to acknowledge God for who he is. We think somehow that's not fair, but it's the reality. And so we become a God-facing people. God interacts together with us in our gathering. The way we're orienting services here at Promise Church is to expand opportunities for you to face God and for God to face you. That's what we're doing. For some, that's going to be intimidating. It can be. For others, that's the most comforting thing in the world, that a loving God will face you will look at you with grace and compassion and will say, I love you. And we open up our hearts towards him and say, thank you, God. You had the power to smite me and you chose not to. You had the power to destroy me, to crush me, to, to, eli to eliminate me, and you chose not to. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself as loving, benevolent, compassionate, even to the point of incarnating, becoming one of us, which we're going to celebrate over Christmas. God comes with us. See, we aren't doing this for our own sake. 
Everything we do comes out of gratitude for God's action in us. And so we worship God because he is greater than us. We're, we're doing it for God's glory. So at Promise, we want you to have a genuinely God-facing experience. It's why we come to church. It's not controlled by me as a pastor, but it's controlled by the Spirit of God. I expect that God is speaking to you in something that's happened every week in our service. It could be in the experiential discipleship practice that we do. It could be in the musical worship. It could be in Pastor Amy's segment. It could be in the welcome and introduction. It might be in the sermon. But God is speaking to you because we gather regularly enough to hear his voice. I mean, surely you didn't come here to listen to me blather on. Like, seriously, that's not why we come. See, it's a challenge because the promise of God being close can be threatening. If God is this close, then I am seen for who I truly am. And that's hard. So we spend our lives trying to say, okay, God, this far but no further. You can't actually engage me here. I'm holding this part. I'm holding this anger. I'm holding this lust. I'm holding this, this envy. I'm holding this, this division, this, this bitterness. I'm holding all of these things. You can't, you can't have that, God. Because God being close is a threat. You know, we sometimes stay away from God for three reasons. Insecurity, in our own smallness and the scope of God's greatness, we push away from God. We feel like God's grand nature is going to overwhelm our personhood and we're going to be lost. So we, in defense, we push against God because God becomes a threat. We stay away from God because of our unworthiness. In the light of our imperfections that we actually identify with, that we actually enjoy, we're like, oh, if God gets close, he's taking that from me. I've talked to numerous people that will tell me, oh, no, 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 I'm not ever going to let God have that because I enjoy it too much. Right? And our unworthiness, we push away from God. And in our pride and rebellion, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough to be in control, and I'm not allowing any all-powerful God to overpower me. And so we push against God himself. And the Bible says that we have enmity with God when we're the same as the world. We're in conflict against God when we take the same values of the world. Look at, look at James 4.4. 4. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friendly with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. The Bible's clear that God's pursuing you. As we've looked in Ezekiel, he's pursuing you, and we are the ones who find ourselves running away. We run away from God. But God does this. I just gave you the three reasons we run away, insecurity, unworthiness, and, and pride and rebellion. God speaks truth to insecurity. The good news of Jesus is God, who is infinite, becomes finite, and he shows us that God values our personhood, and he loves you. The infinite became finite. And God did that to prove to humanity that he is actually loving towards them. This isn't a power trip. This is God saying, 
No, I actually am invested in you as people. He speaks truth to your insecurity. He speaks truth to your unworthiness. The good news of Jesus is that the, is that the new way of life that Jesus brings is healthier. Is better than all the imperfections that you carry. God has the ability to bring about this better life in you. He is better and we are but young children in our eternal existence. And so God says that I am here with you. I have provided the best way for you. We are, okay, so the young children remark. Think about this. Studies have been done in children between ages one to five. And we know that, that so much of their personality is generated and created in that age bracket. So, we, we really invest in, okay, how do we raise our young children well? And then they become teenagers and we go, oh, shoot. <laughs> right? We, they become teenagers and we go, okay, I messed up that one to five. Now what do I do? So I'm thinking about eternity the other week and I realized as I'm writing this sermon that the way that we interact with God is so shaped and molded in our finite life here in the presence of evil. It's in the scope of eternity. We've got this, this 70 year life, 72, 85, whatever your lifespan is. We've got this period of life that in the scope of eternity is even smaller than the ages of one to five for a human child. How much influence are we as mere infants being influenced by God, by who he is. We are but mere children at the cusp of our understanding of reality. Just learning to talk, just learning to dabble in it. That's where we are. And so God is invested in bringing us along. He is healing us. God literally has all the time in the world. So he's not done with you yet. Somebody just said, if in God and all his omniscience created man, are we just here to worship and adore him? What's the purpose of humanity? Well, the purpose of humanity is to become fully alive. That comes from Arrhenius. The purpose of humanity is to be a man fully alive. And how do we do that? We do that in the presence and the power of God. We will never be equal to God. We are always less than God. But we can become fully human, and that's the promise of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We become fully human. And so God's not done. He's working with us. He's influencing us like we are children. And prayerfully, we can have that humility like we are children. He speaks truth to pride and rebellion. The good news of Jesus is he will not force himself on any of us. He's not going to trick you to follow him. Jesus isn't a trickster. He's not an accuser. He's the one who says, come to me. Come to me. In Revelation, he says, come and buy from me the, the clothing that represents the purity. Come to me. I'll provide that for you. I'm bringing this for you. This is the promise so that his name is no longer profaned, so that we live in unity together, so that we are truly fully human. 
If you don't want to follow Jesus, and if you want to remain the king of your own life, absolute sovereign over all of your decisions, that you make everything on your own, you have every right to reject God's offer. And God will simply accept it. But it begs a question. What are you going to do in the presence of evil? Do you have the strength to fight it off? Is your willpower strong enough? Is your resource able to destroy and defeat evil? God's is. God does. And he's offered you a life. And so you have every right to turn him down. But I don't know if you have the ability to overcome evil. Whereas God does. So as a church, we practice experiential discipleship. And what that means is we constantly want to be turning our eyes to Jesus. Become God-facing as a church. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, teach me your voice and teach me your way. Because I can't understand. I can't understand you. We're a God-facing church and we'll continue to lead people to look to God in everything we do, from our promise groups to our grants to our experiential discipleship to every time somebody has a microphone here on a stage, every time we're in small groups here in the congregation, God has opportunity to speak. And so we take that seriously. We listen to the voice of God. So what does God's voice sound like? I'm going to give you a simple test from 1 John 4, 3, and I'm going to close with it. Don't believe every spirit or voice, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Someone just wrote Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. God is the one at work. We have been invited into God's work. The life that we live when we join is better, healthier, and stronger. We are participants in God's glory. In the kingdom of God, is always at the center is God's voice through Jesus. Jesus is always at the center of that. And the kingdom of God you're envisioning does not reflect that Jesus come in the flesh. It's not him yet. And so today, we begin a healing process. A healing process that says we start off with what is God doing? From there, we build where do we fit? When we have the starting question right, we can move on towards mission. Let me pray for us as a church. Holy Spirit, we know that there are great evils that exist in the world that we experience that we carry. We know that there is so much that happens in this world that is so challenging and frustrating and we wish it didn't happen like that but it does and we react to it and we 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 struggle in the reality of it and so truthfully today we come to a realization that you are our only hope we need you 
You are the one that can remove evil. You are the one that is in process with us. You are the one that brings us to living to be wholly alive. You are the one that, that is molding us, and you are the one that's offered it with an open hand. So as a church community who bears your name, God, I pray that we would be people who respond to that call. That we would be people who boldly lead others to become God-facing. That we would look to you in every avenue of our, of our lives. That we would see your glory. That we would understand your strength. That we would participate in your mission. And Jesus, as a church, we are but in our infancy. As humans, we are but in our infancy, even the oldest of us. And so Jesus, mold our hearts, shape us, and allow us to reflect your glory in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Promise Church. God bless you, and have yourself a great week.